Welcome to the Inspirational Australians podcast, where we chat to people making a difference in their communities and in the lives of others. And here is your host for today, Josh Griffin. Thank you, Annette. So straight to it this week for our dose of inspiration. I'm chatting with Eamon Jaffrey, who is joining us from Tassie. Eamon is a part of the Multicultural Council of Tasmania, part of the Pakistani Cultural Society of Tasmania and Shia Association of Alabet Tasmania, and also Secretary of Clarence Little Athletic Centre. Eamon, welcome to the podcast this, uh, I was say this morning, we're actually in the afternoon. How are you going? Hi, Josh. Thank you so much for having me over. I'm doing great. Thank you. That's good. Thanks for the little thumbs up there with my pronunciation of uh, Alabet Tasmania. And, you know, I do have a good friend who's of Arabic descent, uh, Egyptian, and unfortunately his dad and sister only taught me words that are probably not very appropriate uh, for the Inspiration Australians podcast. And so now I'm like, why didn't they teach me some good words in Arabic that I could actually use? But uh, thanks for joining us. Your bio is so interesting, Amy. I do want to read out questions about, you know, some of the things covered in your bio and about your award win. So you won the Heather Christopher Chong Outstanding Achiever Award as part of the 2021 Community Achievement Awards. And, you know, this is part of what your award win was all about. You organised a women's gala in uh, the end of 2020, which was attended by women from all walks of life who showcased their businesses. Uh, and as well as that, organised International Women's Day events bringing people together, helping network women from various migrant and culturally diverse backgrounds and linguistically diverse backgrounds. But I know that beyond those events, there was so much more that you've been doing in Tasmanian communities. So where should we start, Eamon? Ah, oh, wherever you want to start from. But yeah, I came to Tassie in 2018 and I am a HR professional myself. And when I started looking for work, I faced a lot of challenges, not only from the Tassie not I would say community, but from the market environment, as well as from my own community, because I am a Muslim migrant woman who wears a hijab. So all these three points that I said was my minus points, according to my own community. And being Tazi being a very small market, it was hard for me coming from outside to find a job. So I started volunteering and I started looking for work. And it took me one whole year to find a fixed term employment in an organization. Really? Yeah. So I uh, we went through a lot of challenges because I did not have friends here, or family here, just one family that I knew from back from the Middle East from where I migrated. So that lady was here. She was very, very helpful, uh, helped me organize, settle. But yeah, so when I when I started working, I realized that, you know, there are, there are a lot of migrant families who are coming to Tassie. And if I can remember correctly, the net overseas migration is around what there are around like 65% people arrive in Tasmania on temporary visas and around 37.1% people come on permanent residency. So there are, there's a lot of uh, people coming in Tassie and everybody has the same story, especially the skilled migrants who are looking for work. So I thought that, you know, this is a good opportunity for me to advocate the challenges of the migrant community. And because I have already been through that process of building my networks and mm. uh, establishing that trust that I needed to, so I thought it was an easier pathway for me to help other migrants settle in. And I think with this intention, I started advocating the issues of the migrant 
And it actually helped me. I was able to connect a lot of migrants to a lot of organizations. And I'm still evolving and learning, helping other migrants doing that, as well as our different departments. What are the issues highlighting? I recently uh, had a session with the Department of Forestry who actually want migrants to work for them. But they were they wanted to know why migrants are not coming towards the forestry department. So the there was issues and discussions around that thing as well. Mm, not yeah, there's so many things to think about with that. So when when you arrived in 2018, you talked about some of those points that were perceived as being negative about you. Did did you have people flat out telling you those things as well? Yes, they were. And actually, I have uh, I've recently done a project with the Equal Opportunity Tasmania where we were talking about uh, what happens when people migrate. When people are migrating to any country, not even Australia, anywhere when they migrate, when they leave their home country, they move with a lot of burden. I always say that there, there is a social burden because you're moving to a new place. There's always fear of the unknown. The anxiety is there. You move with financial burden. You're coming with psychological burden. And then when people you know, say stuff to you like that, oh, you will not get a job or there's a lot of racism going on. There's a lot, there is a lot of unconscious biasness. You know, you, it, it tends to break you. You feel so demotivated. Sometimes people say, oh, now we're just going to go back from where we came and, and things like that. So yes, people were telling me straight on my face. One of the guys that I met said, oh, when you go for a job interview, just take off your hijab and go because you're wearing a hijab, you'll not get a job. I was like, no, I do not want to work for an employer who will not hire me just because I dress differently. Mm. No, my, my difference is my power. If I'm yeah. coming from outside, I'm bringing a lot of international experience with me, a lot of exposure, international exposure. And especially now when Tazi is developing as a migrant uh, community, things will change here. Yeah, yeah it, was, it was very demotivating. Home. Yeah, some people sadly just don't think before they say things do they that's a horrible thing to say yep. as in someone Agreed. telling you to to do that but I'm uh, I'm glad that you persevered and pushed through those challenges because the work you're doing now is very important to help other people feel mm-hmm. a lot more supported uh, when they come because you're spot on when you come to somewhere new you know you don't have that family support you don't have friends the knowledge of, of what you're doing in a, in a new place so yeah it would be really hard I'll give you an example. Even for the language, even though I was I grew up learning English, English was my medium of education. But when I came to Tassie, in fact, when I came to Australia at the immigration counter, the, the officer asked me, so how are you going? And I said, I'm going by car. <laughs> it's, I mean, there's so much difference. Even at my work, there are a lot of slangs that I don't understand. And I just smiled at them. It's not my first language. I, I cannot get there right now. Yep. That's, that's great. So, you, so we already work really, really hard, you know, just to fit in and, mm-hmm. and do stuff like that. But yeah, it does get really hard at times because uh, so many people discourage you, tell you, oh, no, you're not good enough to be here. That's, uh, yeah, not great. So can you tell me how many, you don't have to give me the exact stats, but migrants coming to Tasmania, is that common? Like lots and lots of uh, migrants? Because yeah, I'm not aware of that. Uh, well, see, the migrant community, because usually people come to Australia either on student visas or they come uh, as skilled migrants. Obviously, everybody wants to be part of the country. Australia is such a beautiful place. But uh, Melbourne and Sydney, the metropolitan cities are already now saturated enough to accommodate people. So the states have opened the regional areas and they want people to be there. Obviously, Tassie is one of them. Tassie is one of the most, most beautiful places I've ever been in 
my life. So that's why for the past couple of years, study is still new to migrants. So obviously the perception is still there. People are not sure that if somebody is coming in, whether they, they will be able to fit in or not. So a lot, a lot of migrants are coming in, but Tazi is not ready to host migrants right now because we do not have the right infrastructure. We do not have proper roads, medical facilities enough to accommodate so many people. So I think it's just going to go vice versa. We need people to develop the state and again, state to accommodate so many people at the same time. I mean, right now, Tassie is the sixth, if I'm correct, sixth most populous state of Australia with around 542,000 people, I think. <laughs> yeah, so from what we're hearing, it's not easy for migrants to just come into Australia and you know, we're talking about Tassie specifically and uh, and adjust to life. So. I know that you help people, but how do you even come across the new migrants? I had an opportunity to, um, or I think it was just a stroke of luck. It was my fate to be in this position. During my volunteering time, I was volunteering with the Migrant Resource Center. So I made a lot of connections there. I met a lot of new families there. And obviously when new families come, then you know they're just connected to one another in one way or the other. Uh, then I... When I, uh, I got an opportunity to work with Clarence Little Athletic Center. So every I was volunteering seven days a week. So wow. everything was happening at the same time. And uh, I, I was so I, I would go to my volunteer work in the morning and I would go to my networking programs in the evening because Tazi being a, like a, a very well-connected state, there are almost 97% of businesses in Tasmania are small businesses. And estimated around 37,100 small businesses, 36,000. So out of 37,100 businesses registered in Tasmania, 36,800 are small businesses, which employ around 100,000 Tasmanians. So everybody is connected to everyone. So while volunteering at Clarence, while volunteering at Shia Association, while volunteering at PCST, while volunteering at MCOT, everything just started to make sense. I was also, before I, so I got my job at the Department of Police for and Emergency Services, which actually came as a shock to a lot of people. Because again, uh, a Muslim migrant women wearing a hijab sitting in the police department was something as a shock for a lot of my own community members. So, uh, but prior uh, joining my uh, work, I was also working for Beacon Foundation. So I was volunteering there. And then it just all made sense that, you know, everything happens for a reason. Everything happens for a purpose. So if I'm working with a family and somebody else knows that, yes, she is there, she has the resources, she has the networks that she can get us connected to people. People approach me through MCOT or through PCST or any other organization. And and luckily, thank God that I'm able to help them through it. It's always very confronting for me that when somebody come up to me with help or any guidance, I always say, God, please help me to help them out. Because if somebody's coming to you for help, they're very hopeful that, yes, you will be able to guide them through. And luckily, so far, I've been able to do that. So, yeah, thank God. Fingers crossed for that. Was there a moment or someone, you know, in your first could be year or shorter when you arrived in Tassie who you feel did that for you, who helped support you? 
Yes. Um, uh, as I mentioned, when I came to uh, Tasmania, uh, there I had a colleague back in Qatar where I was living before, and she is she was pursuing her PhD from UTAS. And when I said to her, you know, I intend to stay here, she was very helpful. I had to go back to pack my stuff and she did everything for me she she set up my house she did everything like when i when i landed in tassie i just went to her place had dinner and just went straight to bed so that was a bit of an easy easy thing for me but why i do that for other people is that everybody that i met professionally they have been very very helpful when i went to migrant resource center i met this wonderful lady there who actually guided me towards volunteering and I started volunteering and everybody, whoever they can, whatever they can do in their own personal capacity, they were doing that. So that's why I got the motivation of helping other people as well. You know, if, if I got help in from some other people, I should do the same. And okay, what what you what good you do come back to you as well. Yeah, I mean that's so true. It's such a great motto to live by. What what you know, what you do comes back to you and yeah, it's fantastic to hear that there was people there supporting you as well. And even though they were you know, your friends, it's a great way to start off. I'd like to also ask you about, you know, you're very passionate from what I understand about empowering women. And so can you tell us where that kind of started and, and how that passion uh, came about for you? Um, again, for, mu- for multicultural women, especially Muslim women, there is a, I don't know, there is an image that they're very oppressed they are then they cannot achieve anything or they're always you know they have their head down i've heard this again that you know uh, how can you do so much how can you uh, you know how you're able to do all these things but i always say that islam is one of those religions who talk about women empowerment who talk about women with the freedom of women who talk about women rights but they're just portrayed in such a negative way that people misunderstand that thing so I, I always say that I am a perfect example of a Muslim woman. I am independent. I'm confident. I can say what I want to say. I'm well supported by my family sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, and then sometimes it's very important to women realize, like to make women realize what they are capable of doing. We're, we're told most of the time that, you know, oh, once you're married, you have kids, you have family, that's all you're good for. No, there are so many things that women can do at the same time. And we know this thing somewhere deep down inside. It's just that you need to, you know, refresh what you're capable of doing. When I was organizing the Women's Gala, I kept telling my working group that, you know, you have no idea what you're capable of doing. Believe in yourself and just, you know, trust the process and start doing it. And it was so good. The event was organized by homemakers who have no idea how to do event management and that that event went out flawlessly i was so happy and then they themselves realized that no yes they can do you know if they want to do something it just grew after that so is that event you know going to continue well we can we have not just thought about it but we started doing another program called the multicultural women networking session so we did our first session in march 2021 yes 2021 <laughs> because this is the third session we did on friday and it has been very successful and the idea of doing this multicultural migrant women networking session is that the women who are actually want to come back into the work uh, area especially in tassie we want to get them job ready 
if they're going through any issues, we would like to help them. So what the format of the program is that we invite different organizations who would like to focus on cultural diversity and inclusion. And we invite speakers who have actually lived experiences of that program's theme. And we invite other, though the event is open to everybody, it's not specifically targeted to multicultural Cal women. Uh, majority of it is, but it's open to every woman who come because I'm I'm not like, you know, I'm just, just going to focus on migrant women. I empower everybody, everyone. I'm in favor of that. So like, for example, our first session theme was volunteering because volunteering is very much underestimated amongst the multicultural community. They do not understand how powerful medium volunteering is, and especially in Tazi, the demographics of Tazi are such that everybody knows everyone. So when you volunteer, you build your networks, you go meet people, you, you know, show who you are, you gain that trust, and that actually escalate finding the right employment. So our first session's theme was volunteering. And then our second session theme that we did in September was getting job ready. So we invited organizations like Dress for Success. Uh, we invited organizations like Hive Collective. And we uh, invited organizations called Mass National. They do apprenticeship and traineeship programs. So women who were who wanted to uh, get their go for job interviews or wanted to have dresses for job interviews, they could go to Dress for Success and get those things done. And our Friday's theme was about mental illness or mental health. What happens to mental health of a woman when she's migrating or a skilled migrant woman who um, know whatever mental health issues they might have. And a lot of women shared their experiences, what happened, why they came to Tassie and what happened during their process, their meltdowns, the depression, their anxieties, expectations, disappointments were the main words that came out. They were expecting something else, something else happened. So it, we just like changed the track of that thing that we wanted to do. But yeah, it's coming out really, really nice. And so you're talking about, I loved what you were saying about the, uh, you know, tracking back a little bit, the event, and it was run by homemakers and they're learning all these different skills. Do you that common to come across, you know, with the work you do and assisting migrants and migrant women, that there's people with all different stages of their career, for example, someone who maybe hasn't had a professional career than others who, who are skilled migrants but still can't get, get work. Do you yeah, see all those different types of people? Yes, I do. I meet a lot of families who are new. Uh, I've actually recently come across a, a lady. She's a doctor and she wants to go back into the field, but she doesn't know how to do that because she has two small daughters and she does not know where to take it up from. She was like, oh, should I stay here? Should I go to the mainland? What should I do? So I had a discussion with her. We sat, we spoke, what are the possibilities of her working here? How we can manage her kids, what we can do. So it's just very initial discussion that we're doing. But yeah, there are a lot of ladies who want to go back, but they don't know how to. They do not have that access. Some sometimes people are just sitting at home with no experience, with no local experience. This is one thing that I came across a lot. Oh, you cannot work because you do not have local experience, and it actually uh, became a vicious circle kind of a thing. That you know, I was not getting a job because I did not have local experience, and I cannot get local experience because there was no work. But this is where volunteering comes in. Even if I, like I always tell the students that, you know, even if you're going, oh, this is something I'm giving out. I shouldn't, but still I'll tell you. 
<laughs> I always tell students that you know, even if you get a chance to volunteer for one hour, you should do that because it it'll start reflecting on your credentials. It'll start reflecting on your resume. Nobody's going to ask you how many hours you're working or you're volunteering. It will at least show if you want to do, if you want to pursue a corporate career, if you want to work somewhere, some in an organization. At least you should start volunteering so that it reflects on your CV that yes, this X Y Z is actually working in an organization and learning skills there. That's brilliant advice, Eamon. And one thing that I'm really enjoying hearing from you is a uh, a lovely parallel between what you're saying and the advice you're giving and the advice I've heard from someone at the exact opposite end of Australia, the very top up in Darwin. So we've interviewed Amy Hetherington on this podcast and uh, she touched on some of these things about settling into a new community. You know, it's great to volunteer because you can become part of that community. And so you're giving that same advice from a slightly different angle. And I just think it's so clever what you're saying. That's such a great starting point for a professional career to show that you care, to show that you're a good person, you're volunteering. And as you said, you're getting to know people in the community. So I think it's great advice. And it's it's cool to see that it's as applicable in Tassie as it is up north in Darwin. Yeah, definitely it is. It's very, it's very important. I, I I don't know about Darwin, I haven't been there, but for Tassie, it's very important because again, it's a very close-knit community, very close-knit state. People know each other. And obviously, if I have a small business, I would like to hire somebody who my friend is recommending rather than somebody's coming from outside. Very um, true. So, that's, yeah. that's a good point. So, you know, with all the community groups that you're part of, uh, go and I like your uh, abbreviations, I kind of have to think, MCOT, oh yeah, Multicultural Council of Tasmania, that makes sense. But, uh, you know, there's those cultural societies uh, that you're part of. So that's, that's what I've learned in Taz. You just shorten every single thing. It's a very Aussie thing. Well, I would just say more words if you can just shorten it down. But Eamon, so you, you're involved with all these people. Then there's Clarence, a uh, little athletic centre. So <laughs> I call it Clack. Clack. That's brilliant. Yeah, so what got you started there? Because that is a bit different from the other groups that you've kind of Actually, Clack was the first organization where I started volunteering. I play club volleyball for Van Diemen's Volleyball Club. And I always, um, uh, I was very, very passionate about sports since I was a kid. So when I came here and I went to volunteering Tasmania, they showed me that there's an opportunity of a secretary at CLAC and would I be interested in sending my uh, resume there? And I did and got called for an interview. And uh, I met the president of the center there he was a he is a very very nice gentleman though he was a bit shocked to see me for the first time because he wasn't expecting me in this <laughs> attire but i hope he doesn't hear this podcast no i'm sure he you know that's one thing about i think moving forward as a society and becoming more inclusive and more accepting is we have to acknowledge that sometimes we do have biases whether we are aware of them or not and i think it's better to grow and say look I did have the bias. I wasn't ready for that, but I've now learned. Now he is such a nice guy. We're really good friends. He has been he has been my guide and my mentor. I think it is because of him that I am sitting here today. Because if he, I mean, I owe this to him. If it wasn't for him, I would not have gotten a chance to volunteer or work anywhere else. So this I am indebted to him for the rest of my life. And uh, I bet you would have won him over with your uh, volleyball skills. <laughs> I've been with Clack for three years now and probably this will be my, this is my last season because I, um, 
I have big projects coming up in this year and I will not be able to give time. And I'm really sad leaving that that really awesome bunch of people. But uh, yeah, you need to move on. For sure. Yes. Yeah, so, well, there you go. Because I was wondering how do you got involved? So that all makes sense. And I love volleyball myself as well. So it's a, it's a good sport. I feel like volleyball has a really good community compared yes. to some other sports. It's very seems to be very tight knit. Mm-hmm. Yes, it is. It is definitely. So, Eamon, kind of before we came live onto the the podcast today, uh, we were having a quick chat, and you mentioned one thing which I kind of wanted to dig into a little deeper about how you know at the awards night, and I mentioned at the top that you won the Heather and Christopher Chong Outstanding Achiever Award. There was a few other finalists there, and I think maybe perhaps you were thinking that you might not be the winner. Would I be correct in in saying that? Definitely. I actually did not write any single thing, a a thank you note for my sponsors and and anybody there because I was 100% sure I'm not going to win because my my most of my work is in advocacy it's more i do a lot of talking 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 and explaining the issues so i cannot if you will ask me or oh, can you can you name 10 things that or even two things that you do i cannot show anything to you because it's not there in black and white it's just in the head so it was i was 100% sure i'm not going to win and then when heather chong said oh Eamon jaffrey is like oh oh my god i think i was re- very very loudly i said far out <laughs> <laughs> and then I I got so nervous. I ran up to the stage and then I forgot that I had to say something to say thank you. But obviously, because I knew Heather Chong from before, I say, I said thank you to her. I said thank you to the sponsor and everything. It worked out. Yeah. Oh, that's funny. Well, I'm glad that we got a chance now so you can say some things here on this podcast. So, you know, usually with a uh, nomination in any awards, but uh, in the Community Achievement Awards, we try and have... Uh, you know, people involved in the process. Who was it that was kind of uh, nominating you and and helping you through that process? Um, I actually got nominated from Awards Australia. So there was nobody who nominated me. I got contacted from Awards Australia that uh, I have been nominated. I did actually ask them how did they got my contact. Uh, so before... Th- this award happened. I was nominated for ABC Radio Community Spirits Award, oh. and I was the finalist for that. So from there, they got my um, credentials and everything. And when I got, con- I was very skeptical about you know participating in this or not because oh, I don't know how things will go. I don't. I did not know who to ask for. But then I said, well, it's it might giving it a try. And whenever I get involved in anything, I just go inside the project and I want to start be part of every single thing that happened. And I'm really, really grateful that these awards happened. It has been such a wonderful learning experience. I was part of this campaign from the beginning and I tried my best to participate in every single thing that was happening, whether, you know, it was getting a sponsorship for that night or it was even buying a table. I made all my friends buy their tickets. So I Ooh, bought like I, I bought thirteen tickets. 
<laughs> then I got my organization to do sponsorship. I did. I collected as many support letters as I can. I I wrote as many answers to the questions as I can, and I thoroughly enjoyed the process. When the um, the viewers' choice or the public's choice uh, award was announced, uh, I I made a video and I asked everybody across the world to participate in that. I really want to know how many votes did I got from my picture, but. Um, uh, it was wish... an amazing experience and I was yeah. constantly thanking, thanking Demi for you know doing this and making me part of this it's it's I mean winning or losing it's part of it's just part of the process but what I've learned throughout was a great experience and yeah. actually one of my community members is nominated for the Young Achievers Award happening in June and I actually helped her uh, guided her the way I did my nominations and I did my support letter and everything and when and when I was helping her write her answers and support letters she's like oh I, I never knew this is the way to do it and she said do winners do do winners actually work that hard and I said well I don't know about the others but I did and I did win yeah that's really cool to hear and it sounds like you're you know you're talking about you made everyone buy their tickets but it, they wouldn't have done it if they weren't happy to support you and you know, I think it's just returning. And again, with the People's Choice Award, it was just people returning the goodwill. You know, you said it yourself, you put, you do good in the world and good will come back to you. And I think this is a great example. That's that's right. I did not know that so many people loved me outside Australia, <laughs> even inside now. I mean, uh, I, I get so much positive feedback about myself. It's it's now it it become it has actually become really motiv motivating for me. But I think after winning the awards, um, the ex expectations are a lot more than what was previously because not many people knew what I was doing. But yeah. now I think I've I've become more in a public domain. So yeah, well you you were someone in the community who was involved. Now you're an award winning advocate. <laughs> it has a bit of a different ring to it, doesn't it? Yeah, but it's hard. It's really hard. I had a bit of a meltdown after that. And um, I I actually had a bit of a depressive phase because I did not know where to go, what was, what was after this. Mm. And I have never worked with the intention of getting recognized or I had never worked with the intention of winning an award. So when this happened or when ABC happened, I was like, well, what I'm going to, what I'm going to do, what I'm going to say to everyone that what I do, because my volunteer work has always been a very private affair between me and my God, because I want, I want reward from him. I don't want reward here. But then when your work got acknowledged, obviously, then you have to tell people what you are doing. Even last Friday night, somebody was asking me, oh, so you, you, do you want to tell us what you do? And then obviously, because we were sitting one-to-one, -one, I had to explain it to him. And then at the end of a three-hour session, he was like, God, thank you for doing what you're doing. It's very helpful for us. Because there's so many, there are so many small things. There are so many small issues that people go through. And it had, they have actually made that uh, a normal, it, they have normalized problems for themselves that they don't know are much bigger than them. And if, if we as a community try to help them, uh, they become relaxed and they they're very thankful that we actually did like on the 8th we did a housing session there are a lot of migrants who are moving into shared accommodations or who are just taking who are taking lease from private um landlords and they're becoming victim of bullying from yeah. the landlords 
and they do not know what their rights are. So we did a uh, an awareness session with the Tenants Union Tasmania who came to MCOR, did an, did an information session telling people what their rights are as a tenant, when, um, what what are their boundaries, what are their limits, uh, why? Because the te- because again, with the new arrivals coming in and with the housing crisis, there is there are a lot of issues. But people are scared to talk about it because they think they might lose their property or they might the the landlord may ask them to you know, kick them out, but obviously they are protected under the Tenancy Act. So it's these are the issues that people are not aware of. And again, when I said that they're coming with so many burden, this is just one burden that we can help them take it off. Take off. Mm. It's, you, you're right. It's, it's issues that people aren't aware of. They're not, I'm not aware of these issues. It's, uh, it's very tricky. It sounds like it's not an easy fix either. There, there was a landlord who came into one of the houses and started taking pictures of the family members of that tenant. And she was so scared. Uh, she had a, a document, a lease document in her hand and he scratched it from, she just snatched it and she got a really big bruise on her hand because of that. But she was too scared to tell to the police because she, she had three kids and she did not know that she might get kicked out. Mm. Yeah, and she was really, she was really, really upset because of what had happened. Yeah, that's uh, absolutely, yes, yeah, it's, it's horrible, isn't it? It's one thing I, uh, you know, I don't want to sugarcoat it. It's, I don't like it when people uh, hear these stories and then they, they write it off or they try and brush over it. You know what I mean? So, I hope forgive me for not moving on. I just uh, sometimes have to let it soak in. And, and uh, it's hard because, see, I am not in a political place. I am not in a authoritarian place. I am a community volunteer. Mm. And uh, if you, you can cut this if you want to. I'm just telling you something on a one-on-one basis since we're already talking about it. So it, it actually takes a toll on my mental health as well. Because if somebody's calling me at 11 at night and crying of this issue, saying that, Amen, I'm scared living in my own house because my landlord is harassing me. It actually upsets me because I cannot do anything in my position, in my capacity. Yeah. And, and they're calling me with the hope that, you know, I might be able to help them out. But obviously it takes, I mean, it takes some time to do that. And it, it's, and I become really, really vulnerable at times. And yeah. sometimes I forget that, you know, I have to observe and not absorb these kind of problems. But I do end up absorbing it, and then it takes a toll on my mental health. I get, I feel really depressed. I sometimes sit in the corner and cry that you know, um, why am I not able to help people who are asking me to help them? Mm. And now it makes sense why you, I think I can get some understanding on why you may have felt, you know, you said you had a, some depression and, and feeling the pressure of winning an award like like the one you won, yeah. because that is a lot of pressure uh, on you. And I think mm-hmm. sometimes people perhaps, yeah, they gloss over that, that the people who are, you know, giving up so much time and effort, it takes a toll on them as well, as you've said. So I'm glad that you shared that. And maybe uh, people can buy you a, a massage or something, <laughs> I don't know, something relaxing for you to, to take some time. You know, out. you know, what's really therapeutic for me when somebody comes up to me and say, you know, what you did has made a lot of difference in our lives. That yeah. is it. That that smile is that gives me the kick that I need to go through that day and to go through that phase. And I'm glad that that happens. People do come back with very good feedback. Yeah, that is rewarding, definitely. 
So, Amen, can you know, I, I just I'm struggling to understand what a day in your life looks like because there's just so much that we've talked about, so many varied things. Uh, I don't want, I don't know if that's too much of a boring question to ask, but I am interested to hear what is a, a a day, a typical day in your life look like? Well, I have two kids, 12 and 13, and one goes to high school, one goes to primary school. And my husband, he works for a consulting company, so we're a family of four. Normal work life, go to work, come back, school life, food, family stuff. But I try to divide my, my phone starts ringing five or five in the evening where everybody wants to know what, if, if there's something that I can help them with or whatever. I try to organize myself as much as I can because um, there's a lot on my plate. I have to give time to my family. I have to look after myself as well. I've realized that I cannot be in all the places at all the, mm. all the time. That's why I, I work on empowering women and especially Muslim women, because I want more and more to come in front and, you know, address the issues. And that's why wherever I get an opportunity to bring somebody in, I do that. I do a lot of collaborative work wherever I think the connect, because again, I have that network of people around me, wherever I think it's appropriate to bring people together, I do that. So that takes off my responsibility. Somebody gave, gave me a very good suggestion, Amen, delegate and celebrate. So I'm mm. practicing that. Good advice. I, I make my, my friends, my team members do a lot of work, but then I do kind of a macro management. And then I love playing volleyball. So my Mondays after my volleyball, Saturdays was for my athletics. Uh, that's going to end soon. But yeah, um, try to attend as many events that I can. I, I try to work on my personal development. So I have my books, audio books, books on my side, wherever, whenever I get a chance to read or study, I do that. I'm, I'm very lucky. I got a chance to do a very prestigious Australian Institute of Directors uh, program. So that's coming up. I'm really excited for personal development training for that. Very cool. So yeah, that's yeah. Um, just try to 24 hours is not enough, but I try to yeah. maintain that work-life balance. I hear you on that. That sounds like just so much on your plate. So many great things, but uh, still many things. And I can imagine there's times when your kids are going like, mom, we just want you to take us to the movies or something. Yeah, it it, it has actually started happening more frequently now because uh, they're, they're going up and they need more time. So what I try to do is wherever I can take them with me, I do that so that they know that the kind of work that I'm doing and that they're also interested in it. There's an International Women's Day coming event coming up on Saturdays. I'm taking my daughter with me and she's looking forward to it as well because I think now I've been I've been volunteering in Tassie for four years and for almost 16 years in total. So my kids are used to it now. They're like, oh, I'm, I can't do anything about my mom. She's yeah. just like that. She's a hopeless like, case. <laughs> I would say an inspirational case. That's a, an amazing example to set for your kids. That's really cool. Uh, I remember going to the awards nights that my dad put on when I was a kid and not really understanding what it was all about. And then years later comes full circle when uh, I started to work in this company in Awards Australia to see full circle with those memories and understanding the importance. And uh, that's, you know, I dare say that your kids will have that moment at some point down the track where they, they realize the importance of everything you've done that you've shown them in it. Uh, will make a profound impact in their life. 
I I always I've always believed in one thing that you know God has sent you on the world to do in the world right to do different things not just one thing and uh you should always try to make best use of yourself serving his people and obviously then when you do good good comes back to you I have there have been cases there have been times when I had been in such a difficult situation which is just humanly impossible to solve and my issues have been by like this and i was think god what just happened so when people pray for you their prayers work and you get out of very difficult situations in a very easy way so it sounds like you must draw a lot of strength um from your religion as well i'm a very spiritual person i draw a lot of strength from energy from positive people around me and yes obviously islam being a religion of human nature there are a lot of learnings it gives a lot of uh, knowledge if you want to you know pursue that line but i'm not a very religious person at all don't don't get deceived oh <laughs> uh, amen it's been such a pleasure chatting with you if people would like to you know learn more about some of the work you do your advocacy or or any of that where would you suggest they they go to kind of follow along and and, uh, and see more so i have my linkedin profile 99.9% work that i do or uh, that i advocate is up on linkedin and then i sometimes upload that on my facebook and my instagram as well so that that went public as well i i i had to actually step out of my comfort zone and when i tell people i'm an introvert person nobody believes me mm, uh, <laughs> I'm I'm actually very I am an introvert and it's very hard for me to talk it's very difficult for me to interact with people but then again there is no growth in comfort you have to come out of your comfort zone if you want to grow and I like developing other people and I like to learn so everything is there in on socials but mostly on LinkedIn because yeah. I want the organizations or the professionals or uh, other authorities who are in the state to see that yes they these are the issues of the migrants that we are highlighting and it would be great that they should be addressed if you want migrants to stay in tazi because this is again one of the biggest challenge that tasmania is facing right now that although the migrants are coming to tasmania but the state is unable to retain them mm. could be because of housing could be because of employment could be because of lacking basic necessities like place of worship or like for example tasmania doesn't have a muslim graveyard now if, if a muslim dies in tazi either they have to be repatriated to their own country or they i don't know where they get buried wow so yeah this so, is stuff that, that people would not know without hearing mm-hmm. from you so i guess you know you've touched on one really great example of what i'm about to ask you but if there was something you could tell people like me when i say like me i mean you know Aussies who just perhaps aren't as aware of what life is like for a newly arrived migrant mm-hmm. what's mm-hmm. something that we can we can do or we should be aware of just to kind of you know to be more welcoming to make life a bit easier um see so the most important thing is that you should not be judgmental because the person who is coming to your country is carrying a lot of burden with mm-hmm. himself or with herself and if you're judging them for whatever reason could be very detrimental for them then give give them time to adjust be a bit patient with them be a more be more compassionate with them because these we all we are all humans we all share the same life 
the same spirit, the same soul, right? So we're all part of the same light. And having patience, showing compassion towards the other person, I think they will just open up to you. I am actually um, working on a campaign right now, and, and that campaign will be called Open Your Homes, Open Your Heart, Show the True Color of Tazi. What we are planning is that with the new arrivals coming in Tazi, we will be requesting the Tasmanian community, whoever wants to open their homes to the new arrivals, they are more than welcome to do that. It's just in a very, very planning, initial planning phases. And I think this will, again, give an opportunity to our local Tasmanian community to come closer to the migrants, whether they are, are on humanitarian visas or they're skilled migrants. And obviously, when once you get to know uh, different communities. I think it's easier to understand and accept them. Mm, I agree. I agree with that. That's uh, one of my big philosophies in life is that if you don't have a diverse group of people around you, if you don't try and talk to diverse people that are different to you, then you'll be very close-minded. And so I just think I couldn't agree with more. That's just of paramount importance to talk with people from different backgrounds, whether that's race, religion, you know, sexual identity, whatever it is, you just become so much more aware. And as you said, you, we share the same life. We're, we're all humans. And yeah, I think there were beautiful words that you had just before. And and media portrays so much negativity about different people, different cultural people, again, gender identity and stuff. You should not believe that. Just mm. give other person a chance to sit close to you and open up their heart to you. And you will see that, you know, regardless of the color or the culture or the religion, we have same challenges. We have same issues. And we can all help each other grow. My last question for you, Eamon, today is, you know, uh, before I get to the question, just to, to say that you've been uh, fantastic to chat with. I've really enjoyed it. And uh, very fitting guest for the Inspirational Australians podcast. So the last question is, what is it that inspires you, Eamon? People, their heart, their stories. That's my motivation. Simple yet very powerful. The, the, see, when I'm talking to you, I'm getting a lot, I'm absorbing a lot of your positive energy, right? And then... There's a lot to learn from you. It's not just I'm telling what I do, but I'm also learning a lot of things from you. And we're here on this planet to learn. And everybody has a story, although we live in one world. But when you talk to different people, you learn so many things from them. And there's so much strength every person is carrying in themselves. So, yeah, that that motivates you to do so many things. Hold on. I think it's a nice message as well when you're talking with someone to think about what you could be learning from them. That's very true. Eamon, thank you so much. It's been a pleasure chatting with you. Really, really honoured to, to spend this time with you. Thank you so much for having me over, Josh. And I look forward to talking to you more. Definitely. I hope you enjoyed that interview. If you liked it or any of our other episodes, it would be great if you can rate and review the Inspirational Australians podcast. It really helps us out. If someone you know needs a little dose of inspiration, why not let them know about this podcast? And if you haven't already, make sure you're subscribed so that you won't miss an episode. Join us each week as we talk with ordinary Australians achieving extraordinary things. You can always head to our website at awardsaustralia.com slash podcast for more information and details on each guest. Now, before we go, I'd like to thank Annette, our producer. Here's a fun fact. Annette is my mum and our other host, Jeff, is my dad. This podcast 
is brought to you by Awards Australia, a family-owned business that proudly uncovers the stories of people who make a difference for others. We can only do this with the support of our corporate and not-for-profit partners as they make our awards programs possible. So do you know someone making a difference? If you'd like to recommend someone to be a guest on the podcast, get in touch through our Instagram page, inspirational.australians. Or maybe your business might like to sponsor the podcast or get involved with the awards we run. Head to our website, awardsaustralia.com for more details. Until next week, stay safe. And remember, together we make a difference. Thanks for joining us today on the Inspirational Australians podcast. We hope you enjoyed listening and have been inspired by ordinary Australians achieving extraordinary things. So it's goodbye for another week. Remember, together we make a difference.